that and I am on okay I want to make sure of that I want you to go to James chapter 3 James chapter 3 uh, the, the theme today so to speak is a little bit on faith and maybe because it's been on my mind as I uh, been there in Africa I um, you know we we all if we're going to live the Christian life we've got to live it by faith but I, honestly I've said for most of my Christian life that I believe the people of real faith are the people that, that lead their, their nation to go to another land and scratch out a living, uh, an existence, uh, to serve God, to reach people. And, um, and, you know, to what extent uh, they're willing to step out is, is really is, it, it's a measure of, of their faith. And, uh, and so it's been on my mind a lot. And and uh, tonight, speaking about faith, I'm going to uh, read a passage of Scripture that's an example or really we're a description of double-mindedness, double-mindedness. Now, uh, as I say that, we are all, every Christian in the world is uh, to some extent double-minded uh, because, you know, Paul said, you know, the things I should do, those things I don't do, and the things I ought not do, those things are the ones that I do. Um, because we're in a constant battle with this, the flesh and the spirit. So there's a little bit of do double-mindedness in all of us. But what I'm going to do is look at uh, an example of double-mindedness. We're going to look at uh, kind of 
where it comes from, and uh, how we can get over it. Amen? Uh, so uh, that's what we're going to take a look at here. James chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, and even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of fine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless tonight, Lord Jesus. I ask you to guide my mind again. Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself today. And Lord, I need your spirit, your presence, your, your strength, your power, your clarity of mind. Father, I, I ask in the name of your son, Jesus, that you'd build a mighty hedge of protection around this place. And Lord, that you'd put your arms around us and we'd be under your wings. And Lord, I, I, I need your presence and power, and I yield myself, and I ask that you would flow through this place and open our hearts and minds, that something might be said that would be a help and a blessing to someone. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's, as you see in this passage, it's so easy for us to speak of God and then turn again and attack others. And it's, uh, and again, I, I don't think anybody's totally exempt of the tongue. The tongue is an unruly evil. It's so easy for us to be kind and good and turn on a dime and spew anger and hatred in a moment. You know, you can be as happy as a lark and something be said, something be done, somebody cut you off on the road. Uh, you, can, you can be just as happy as you can possibly be and just a, in an instant that can flip. It can turn. And, we, and when we, we are that way, we live in confusion, the confusion that doubt brings. And so God says we need his wisdom, and his wisdom is peaceable, gentle, easy to get along with, and merciful. So I, I'm just going to try to lay a little foundation, but fear leads to double-mindedness. Double-mindedness leads to confusion. Confusion leads to every evil work. And so we need to kind of know where it comes from. Ultimately, fear is the real root of double-mindedness. And that fear leads to double-mindedness. As I said, double-mindedness leads to confusion. And the scripture we just read says confusion leads to every evil work. And that's a very, very important verse, one that I use often because uh, we, we so often find ourselves in, in this confusion about what's right, what's wrong, what should I do, what should I not do. And that confusion is a, a very dangerous place to be because uh, every evil work is a pretty serious statement. Now, peace leads to faith, and which leads to trust, and trust leads to the stability of life and assurance of God's presence. 
And so we're looking, that's what your peace is the antithesis of double-mindedness. And, and it's just the con, you know, just complete opposite of, of confusion. Peace and confusion are just uh, polar opposites. And God says that peace leads, leads us to greater faith. Faith leads us to peace. Peace leads us to faith. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, and without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now I want you to go to one that I, I, passage that I read, and I, and I probably I, I know I've already preached before, but I'm going to I want you to go to James chapter 1. We're going to just read the verses because it's very important to the, what we're talking about this, this evening. James chapter 1 it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But notice verse 6, But let him... Ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. That's, that's, again, when you go into wavering, that's the double-mindedness. For he that wavereth is going back and forth uh, in his decision is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so... Uh, the, it's so very important that we understand that double-mindedness is, the, is absolutely the antithesis of faith. We've got to, we've got to understand that double-mindedness and faith, they just can't coexist. Uh, that double-mindedness will, will cause us to be the, like the wave of the sea, and driven and tossed. And, and God says, when you're that way, you can come to me and ask something. He said, but but that, that's not going to bring an answer, not going to bring the answer that you want. That's why I'm, I'm, you know, took this morning and this evening, and we're trying to address this, that we've got to come to God in faith. Now, in order to do that, we've got to have a way to take the double-mindedness out, and we have to be single-minded toward, toward God. So faith leads to patient endurance of the trials of life. That's what we see in this passage. God allows us in this passage really to see two different lives. He says, here's, here's one, here's a method that you can have this, this, this single-mindedness. He said, if you'll just walk through the procedure I have, uh, and we'll talk about it in just a second, through the passage, uh, this passage is one of faith and one of double-mindedness. When we ask God, it should be in faith, but often we ask and our request is saturated with so much doubt that we are simply praying in despair and hopelessness. And you've heard me say this before, but it's something I, I, I really, I've watched too many people and I spent too many years of my life doing it. We're just in, we pray and we, we are going through the motions, but everything we pray, we pray with so much doubt. We pray with so much confusion. We pray with so much torment almost because our mind, it's, it's I want to pray, I need God to answer, but I don't think he will. And so, uh, what happens is, and this is what really happens to us, first of all, hopeless prayers actually cause us to be angry. They cause us to be frustrated, discouraged, even depressed. You know, if you spend enough time, you know, it's sad, but, we, but sometimes our prayers depress us because we're praying, but we're praying in such hopelessness that we don't see the answer 
and we don't believe we'll see the answer, and we keep praying, but we keep praying in this hopelessness, pretty soon we just get upset. We'll start to get upset at God. Why won't you answer? Why do you answer other people, but you won't answer me? Why do you? Are you okay tonight? I'm the one that's tired. Okay? Uh, you know, it's just we, we get frustrated, and that's what happens. Hopeless prayers can cause us to be angry, can cause us to be frustrated, discouraged, even depressed. Now, hopeless prayers are prayers of the double mind. Now, first thing that I'm going to do is, and how this lands, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give you just three or four things that, um, that cause us to have hopeless prayers. You say, well, you know, I kind of feel that way. I feel like, you know, when I pray, I just really struggle really thinking that God's going to answer me. I really struggle thinking that God really wants to hear me. I really struggle believing uh, that God's ever going to answer me. I'm going to give you a few reasons why we've evolved in our prayer life to a hopeless prayers. And here's number one. If you struggled with authority in your home or if you felt that, that you were not valued by the authority in your home, you may uh, also struggle believing that God values you and wants to hear from you. It may be something that you have to go back. You may be an adult and, and out of your home now, but you may have to go back to a time period in your life and realize uh, part of this is that I've always struggled with authority. And I don't know if we realize this, but God is authority. And if we've always struggled with authority, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you don't get from your earthly authority the things you want to get when we struggle with them. You know, I said, it's strange, but if, my do- if one of my children came up to me and wanted, uh, you know, an ice cream, but they had a bad attitude, do you think they're getting ice cream? Not unless I want some ice cream too, but the, uh... <laughs> I had to... Uh, my girls, they always say, I'd love to buy them something and then ask them if I could have a bite. And I love to see their little faces. Because when I go toward it, I go toward it like this. And they just see my whole mouth consumed three-fourths of it. And I just love to watch them cry. And so, but, you know, the... the the attitude that we have in our home, and we, we may blame everybody in the home. We may blame everybody, you know, why it was this, that. But, but a lot of times what it comes down to is that we had authority issues. You know, the extreme double-mindedness is, is you know, we diagnose it as a lot of things today. But, but when we go into extreme double-mindedness, uh, we, that's, that's really extreme rebellion. And, uh, and, and that's where I, I think that some of our illnesses are because we have the Holy Spirit within us who's say, saying to us, don't go there, don't do that, don't believe that. And, but we have our flesh inside that says, you're not telling me what to do. It's not a struggle with this. It's no, you're not telling me what to do. And, and so I think if we struggle with authority in your home or if you felt that you were, and then the next statement, if you felt that you were not valued in your home, and that's a little bit different. No, it's really a lot different because you may not necessarily be rebellious, but you just feel like you were not valued. You just felt like you weren't important. You feel like you were just kind of a, a sideline atom. You, you, you felt like you were a mistake. 
And so if you feel that way uh, in your home growing up, I'll be honest with you, you're probably going to struggle feeling like that toward God. And so that's something we have to we have to overcome because let's, God doesn't make any junk, remember? And God doesn't make any mistakes. And so you are not an accident. So next reasons we have hopeless prayers is if you've made requests but never have experienced an answer, you may believe that God does not truly hear you. And again, a lot of Christians, I believe, have prayed many, many years of their life, but they can't, they, one, you've never really prayed specifically for anything. And, but number two, you, you just have never, you just never have recognized an answer to prayer. And so since you've never seen a direct answer to prayer, and can I tell you, if that's the case, yes, you will start to doubt whether God hears you. But let me help you. That's a really easy one to solve. Find the need of somebody else, a great need of somebody else, and not that God would bless them, God would be good to them, God would help them. No, you give a specific request for that person. You know, if it may be, you know, God, please, I believe they need $100. God, please, I think they need somebody to fix their car. God, please, I think they, they need something specifically and give God a chance to answer it. And watch this. When he does, don't, don't uh, write it off. Don't, don't say, well, you know, uh, that was just a, a happenstance or that was a coincidence. No, it, it, look, if God answered it, why don't you just praise him? Thank God he answered my prayer. So next, we get into hopeless prayers when we pray with our answer as the only possible acceptable answer. Did y'all hear what I just said? We get into hopeless prayers when we pray with our answer as the only possible acceptable answer. When we can feel rejected by God when he does not choose to answer the way we want him to. And look, Again, that's where it goes back to, we got to let God be God. And so the only acceptable answer for me is God's answer. It can't be my answer. And sometimes we'll get to the point, God's got to do this the way I want it. God's got to do this because I want it. God's got to do this. And when he does it, well, God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. God doesn't hear. No, he does, and he probably answered that prayer. He just didn't answer it the way you wanted him to answer it. So the next one, if you had a crisis that you needed God desperately to answer, a great need, but you feel he did not, you may doubt his presence and his concern with your life. And that's when we get to that moment where, God, I need you. Boy, you got to do something now. And again, he doesn't. Or at least not what we think he should. So, number six is just a simple statement. Or if we have developed a ritual rather than a relationship. And whenever a prayer becomes a ritual rather than a relationship, then we're, we're struggling. It's just we're going through the formality, and you don't really recognize anything out of a formality. And so that becomes a, a ritual becomes a ritual of hopelessness. 
Now, how to overcome it? How to overcome it? How to overcome it? I love looking at these faces. I can't see the faces because I'm too tired to see them, but which in Marcus's, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. But the, uh, hello, folks. <sighs> I'm burning up. I always do this when I get tired. Oh, that's a bad thing to do when you got your microphone in your pocket. <laughs> oh, the only time I've felt this way in the years is on drugs. But the, uh, I separated my shoulder. The altar is this way. All right. Anybody else hot in here? Oh, okay. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've got some disease from Africa or something. I am burning up. Okay. Thank you. I, I've been here for about nine months now, so I still can't figure out how to, to do anything with the uh, thermostats around here. So. But that's all right. I can't figure them out at home either. How do we overcome double-mindedness? In this passage of Scripture, we, we, we read, and I've already taught you about it, but it says to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. And I taught you this. It means to rule over the temptation or to rule over you. So one way that we... Uh, that we overcome double-mindedness is that we, we rule over what's going on in our head. We rule over it instead of allowing it to rule over us. And folks, it's, we've got to start, when, when negative things come into our head, when doubts and confusions come to our head, we've got to start driving them away immediately. Don't let them sit there. Don't let them grow there. Don't let them take root there. We've got to drive them out immediately. We got to trust God, and that's why the Word of God needs to permeate our minds because the Word of God can drive those things away uh, immediately. So, how can I rule over it? Though here's the question: How can I rule over it if I've already conquered by it? And that's why some and there's somebody sitting in this room right now. Everything I'm saying, you're you're saying it won't work for me. It won't work for me. Okay, so here's the next thing I'm going to give: How can I rule over this this? doubt this double mind in my mind, this double-mindedness, how can I rule over this when it already consumes my mind? How can when every prayer I utter before I even get it out of my mouth, I'm feeling like God's not going to hear it, God's not going to answer it, God's going to do anything? Well, the way to do that, I believe, is to reprogram your mind. Reprogram. You need to get a, a head transplant. Amen? I wrote a song like that when I was a college student at Howells Anderson. I was working security, walking back and forth on a catwalk, and I was doing that uh, when I, was, I went to school like uh, Wednesday through Friday, and so I'd work 12 hours a day catching shoplifters uh, on Monday and Tuesday, and then the other days I'd do about eight hours or nine hours after school, and, and, uh, and, and they would get long, and, and just all you're doing is looking through binoculars for 12 hours trying to find somebody that steals. Uh, I, they, they called me into the corporate office one day and they said, uh, the corporate attorney said, he said, you catch more than anybody else in our, all of our stores, got like eight stores. He said, you catch more people than anybody else. He said, how do you do it? I said, pray. And he looked at me and said, you pray people steal? <laughs> and I said, no, man, they're already stealing. I pray that I see them. <laughs> Crazy. You pray people steal. Man, God, let this guy steal. Please let him steal. Nah, you don't have to do that. Enough of them are already doing that. You don't have to pray for that. 
but you got to reprogram your mind. I, I, I was so bored and just about to lose my mind because I did three and a half years, caught 400-something shoplifters in three and a half years, and I'd walk back and forth that catwalk so many hours, so many, and, I, and I started, I said, I think I'm going to go crazy. Think I'm about to lose my mind. I think I'm going to go crazy if I spend many more days here. I don't think I can go on. I think my brain is clinically dead. <laughs> I think I need a transplant zone on. Uh, anyway, uh, didn't go exactly that way, but it's something like that. So, all right. Understand trials. Here's how you reprogram your mind. It's a real simple thing. Understand the trials. Here's how you do it. Understand trials come to everyone. Watch this. When you have trials, anybody ever had a trial? Anybody going through a trial? Uh, it, the rest of you are dead. Yeah, we're going through trials. I mean, it's just life is a trial. Amen? It, it, it is. It's just if you have a good day, you better appreciate it. My preacher used to say, if you ever had a good day, figure out what you did and just redo it tomorrow. Well, that's great. I can do everything the same, but there's other people involved in this thing. And so, but understand trials come to everyone, not just to you. We get so self-absorbed. It's all about me. I'm the only one. Oh, it's attack. Everything's happening to me. No, stupid. It's happening to everybody else, too. It's all. I didn't mean to call you stupid. But it happens to all of us. Every one of us. Nobody gets through this thing without trials. We're gonna, we have them tonight. We have them tomorrow. We're gonna, they just, it, it's just what it is. So understand trials come to everyone, not just to you, not to those uh, uh, that, with whom God is disappointed, but to everyone. You, you feel like, okay, God, this happened to me because God's upset at me. And you wouldn't believe how many people say those kind of things to me. This happened because God has upset me. My, my truck engine blew up because God is upset at me. God, you know what? Uh, this broke down. My washing machine quit because God's... No, nah, it quit because it was junk. That's why I did it. It quit because you didn't change the oil. You're not in the washing machine, in the truck. That's why I quit. It quit because things break. Everything man makes, it's, it's made... To, to end. It's made to, to be destroyed. It's, you know, God made, God's the only one that can make anything everlasting. Even though everlasting says it's everlasting, it's not everlasting. It just, only God is everlasting. And so, uh, don't think it, it, it just happens to you. It's, it's not just you. So, reprogram your mind. Understand, crowds come to everybody. And so, okay, right now I'm having one. It's a trial. Number two, understand that God is not man and therefore will not respond as a man with the weaknesses of a man. God doesn't act like man. You won't go, what happens is we want God to respond like a man, like we think we would respond if we were God. Well, guess what? You're not God. I'm not God. So God's not going to respond the way we do it because if he responded the way we do all the time, then we would be God. Did anybody understand anything I just said? 
Number three, memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. And I, and I challenge you, please, it's not about, it's not a long verse, but memorize it. You need to memorize it. You need to be able to, to quote it over and over and over and over. And that's for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That sound mind is a controlled mind. Double-minded mind is uncontrolled. God says, through my power and my love, you can have a controlled mind. You can control your mind. So, what we're looking at, we're coming toward Christmas time, and here's what I think happens. I think we sometimes think of God as Santa Claus, but a different sort of Santa Claus. We think of God as Santa Claus, not because he's going to bring us everything we want, no, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. And we're on the naughty list, so we're not getting anything we ask for. You know, I mean, if God really had a naughty and nice list, I'm afraid all of us, since all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to God, we'd all be on the naughty list. But that's just not the way God works. He's not Santa Claus, amen? That's not who he is, even though... I'm Santa Claus. Ho, ho. So, so, <laughs> so, the reason we think this way is just because we see so clearly our faults and failures, and they blind us to the grace and mercy and patience of a loving God. He's very, he has, his grace is sufficient. His mercy endures forever. He's a loving God. His, his, his love is beyond measure. So, you see, Santa, in our mind, this Santa God is evaluating our whole year, and if we come up with more naughty than nice, then he's not going to do anything for us. And that's not what God does. God is a God of 1 John 1, 9, another verse that we should remember remember memorize if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so if there's something that would limit limit us from god hearing us then we just confess it then we're cleansed and according to god's promise once i'm cleansed what's there to limit me you know i um you know, truth is, I, I, I spent a lot of money to, to go to Africa, to take my children to Africa, to take my son-in-law and my daughter to, with us. They didn't have the money. I mean, that's, you know, that's the only negative about all your children serving God. They're all broke. Uh, I mean, <laughs> surely I could have, I mean, I mean, out of six, I could have had one heathen, you know what I mean? Really. <laughs> Just, just one, you know, you could have been a doctor or a lawyer or something. But, uh, you know, but they, they're all in the ministry, so, I, you know, I, I buy their tickets. And then when I get over there and, you know, and everything that goes on, I, you know, I, it's just who I am. I, I try, as far as my money will run, I'll, I'll try to pay for everything that goes on and, and, uh, and try to help. And then I get there, and then Mike and Brooke have so many needs, and I try to, Try to take care of that. My daughter Heather, as we were riding back, she just she just kept 
saying there was one more, you know, one more thing that I, I saw that there was a need. And, so, and she said, she looked at me and she just grabbed me. She said, Dad, you can't keep doing this. And I said, baby, I'm not. God is. I said, I, I, w I don't have the wherewithal to do anything for you unless God does it for me. And he, but you know, that spirit, that attitude, is Heather perfect? No. But that spirit and that attitude of appreciation, that spirit, that attitude of trust, of love, you know what that much makes a daddy want to do? More. Just makes you want to do more. Makes you want to find every way you can to try to do for them. I, I, I forget who I was telling but the other day, but I said, I, I really love doing for my girls because not one of them has ever asked me for anything. But every one of them, when I see a need and they're able to fulfill it, I've never done anything that they are not so appreciative. And so when, when that happens, and, it, and that's what it was, Brooke must have hugged me 50 times while I was there and told me she loved me and, and told me not to keep doing stuff for them. And every time she had hugged me, I'd want to do more. And you know, the fact is, is that God's just kind of that way. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for us to love him. He's looking for us to love him. He's looking for us to appreciate him. He's looking for us to thank him. He's looking for us to praise him. And, and yeah, in this way, I believe as a daddy, I'm a little bit like God. I believe every daddy's a little bit like God. A little bit of praise goes a long ways. A little bit of thankfulness goes a long ways. And, you know, it just, and the more it comes, the more you want to do. And the truth is, I'll wipe out everything that I got everywhere I got. Because that love that's been shown toward me and that thankfulness and that praise just makes me want to do everything in my power. Well, that's God, and here's the key. He's not limited, not limited at all. So if we're battling over why and what it does, does God or will God, we've got to get that immediately out of our head and realize we've got a God that wants to hear and answer our prayers. Well, I appreciate your patience. I'm not sure anything I said tonight made any sense, but I I know it did in my head when I started this, it did. I, and, and I would say that, um, you know, I would love to keep preaching, but it's so cold in here. <laughs> right now, I'm about, now I've gone into cold chills. So, uh, listen, God loves us, Amen. He wants to hear and answer our prayers. And I just love for us to be a whole people, a people that really just decide we're going to believe God. Amen. And we're going to believe him and we're going to pray to him and we're going to, we're going to expect an answer. Watch this. When he does answer, let his answer be the right answer. When he does answer, recognize his answer as an answer and thank him when he does. 
Praise him when he does. And you know what? I guarantee you, he's going to do it again. He's going to do it some more. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love.